Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 135 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, dad is back on the road, but we are here to talk to you about this week's events in college football. Uh, no Nebraska game to go over, but we'll be discussing Nebraska's upcoming game against Illinois, uh, as well as the big games from week eight and what's coming up ahead in week nine of college football. Exactly. Can you believe that? It, it, two things. <laughs> 135th episode, Alex. Wow. Congratulations on that because you're the real brains of this operation. And number two, ninth week of the season. Yeah. Well, I guess... I guess the 150th episode will probably come sometime next year, most likely, but we'll have to do something special for that. We will. Yep. Yeah. All right. But before we dive into all that conversation, we've got to stick with 135 episodes of tradition uh, and crack open a beverage, right? All right. Sounds good. So, uh, yeah, I pulled out. We've got two uh, of uh, Bell's Oberon Ale, okay? which is a uh, Michigan-based company, uh, a Bell's Brewing Company in Comstock, Michigan. It's a, a great uh, uh, summertime ale that's produced by Bell's only in the summer. Then they stop, and it's no longer available throughout the winter. So this is, these are the last uh, Oberons that we'll be able to enjoy until, um, until next summer. Okay. And I have my... Uh... Kona Brewing Company Longboard Island Lager again. I've got a few of these Ooh, in the fridge. I, I like those. Yes. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. All right, son. Let's let's talk football. Sounds good to me. All right. Um, so yes, we are going to dive into the Nebraska side of things first before we get into what happened in the national world of college football. Obviously, we had a bye week, uh, as does our opponent, Illinois, so it really is a wash in terms of uh, any sort of advantage from that. Um, and it is a uh, game at home, uh, whereas our past couple games have been away, uh, so I'm hopeful that that can have some uh, influence for us. Uh, we did get some rough news this week in that uh, Nick Henrich, uh, on our squad is going to be out for the season with a knee injury. Um, yes. Yeah. But you noted that uh, Chris Kalarvik is back on the depth chart uh, for this upcoming weekend against Illinois. So it'd be good to have him back. Yes. And, and he uh, at least is going to get a lot of playing time. So our local Traverse city kid uh, is, is going to get an opportunity to play a little football for the Huskers this weekend. That's right. Always cool to see. Uh, and one other piece of good news was that there is a uh, four-star recruit that uh, committed to us this week. His name is uh, Malachi Coleman. And I, in his statement, uh, he said that it was a, basically made explicit that uh, Mickey Joseph is the main reason that he's coming to Nebraska. Wow. Yep. I, I know he and uh, I know that Mickey has been recruiting him pretty heavily, uh, you know, even when Mickey was uh, – operating in his role as an assistant to Scott. And so, um, and, and, and uh, Malachi is, is one of the more high profile recruits in the state. So that's an important get for us for sure. Uh, and, and it, and it probably more than, more significant than anything is that it, um, it shows that 
Mickey and his staff have continued to recruit, even though they're in this, you know, kind of meddling status where oftentimes when you have an interim head coach, an interim defensive coordinator, that sort of thing, and things aren't going well, which is kind of the description of Nebraska right now, um, that the the coaches at some point just start focusing exclusively on coaching their current players and then leave it up to whoever the new coach is to to do the remainder of the recruiting, right? But with the the calendar and recruiting having been sped up in recent years uh, by some of the changes in dates and everything, and certainly with NIL and the portal and all that, you you can't afford to uh, do that anymore. And so, you know, even as an interim staff, it's very important that we continue to try to build relationships with players. So Mickey's out there talking with 2024s and 2025s. Yeah. Well, and we mentioned that on a previous podcast, and he also said that, you know, every indication we have is that Mickey Joseph uh, has not given up on the possibility that he'll be the next head coach at Nebraska and is trying to cement things so that that can happen. Uh, And this game with Illinois is one that we've uh, designated in the past as a key decider in that decision. Right. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, last week was that game too, right? Like, uh, but this window of four games, and this is kind of going to be the third of those four games. uh, You know, we, we won one Rutgers. uh, We lost one at uh, um, with Purdue, with Purdue at Purdue. Now we come home, we get a home game against Illinois, who's leading the West division right now. Uh, and so th- this becomes a really important game in terms of setting the stage for M- Mickey's candidacy, so to speak, to get the job full time as as the head coach. Right. I, I I I think that Mickey's doing enough to endear himself that that he will certainly get at least the the thumbs up from the athletic administration, Trev Albers, and everybody. And that whoever the new head coach is will be encouraged to at least interview Mickey and see if we can find a way to make him fit with whatever the new coach's scheme and plan is, right? Even if Mickey's not the head coach. Right. Well, and you're forgetting, uh, we also beat Indiana, right? So currently in this four-game stretch that we've been talking about, we're two and one. And we said previously that if Mickey comes out of it two and two, probably... Not going to stick around, but if he came out of it three and one, then that would be an impressive feat. And especially uh, Illinois is currently ranked 17th in the AP poll, 18th in the coaches poll. Like you said, they're leading the Big Ten West. Um, so if we we're able to pull off this upset at home uh, with this you know bye week of time that we've had to prepare for it, uh, that would be a big feather in his cap for sure. Oh, I, I mean that that would be huge. That that would probably eke us into the national conversation a little bit where, you know, ESPN and uh, of course the big 10 network and stuff would actually begin to start talking about, okay, Hey, what, what exactly is Mickey doing over here? You know, where I think they're still kind of on the backdrop, especially now that Wisconsin has made a change at head coach and that coach is now two and oh, right. Like, uh, no, since, no, uh, they lost. No. Oh, that's right. They're so they're two and one. That yeah, they're so, two and one. Yeah, they're two and one. So, uh, but he won in dominant fashion over Purdue. Right. So, um, um, you know, 
Uh, that's a bigger feather, so to speak. Now he's got way more to work with than Mickey did. Uh, he did not have the dumpster fire Mickey had. So no. I'm not I'm not saying that to compare what um uh gosh I can't think of his name right at the moment the interim head coach at, at Wisconsin the young defensive coordinator who's now uh, interim head coach and they actually I think made their change specifically so that they could get him in there I mean that was the plan for their AD right. all along was that this guy was going to basically turn this thing around and make it uh make it obvious that he was their guy uh Jim Leonard is his name thank you that's right Jim Leonard and there was some conversation that he might have been uh you know a, a highly sought after candidate for our job or for the Colorado job or for the Arizona state job so i think uh, Wisconsin was getting a little nervous that they needed to lock him up and secure him right. for the for themselves to the point that they fired Paul Christ who yeah. was doing wasn't doing bad wasn't doing great but he certainly it was debatable whether they should have fired him certainly right yeah the the question with with Chris much like g- going back to our history with Frank Solich you know do you do you take a guy who's who's got an overall uh, body of work that says he's a good coach and when he's got talent he does good things right um and but there are some cracks in the armor. There are some things that he's doing and not doing that would need to greatly improve if we were to go in the direction we want to go in. And you have two choices. You either give that guy a chance to improve in those areas of weakness, right? Uh, let him know that, hey, uh, you know, your, your win-loss record is acceptable, blah, blah, blah. You're going to bowl games, but we want to win championships. And to do that, these are the things that your team or your uh, staff are going to have to be way better at. And, and so I, I need to see improvement in these areas and those got to be good, positive trends or you're not my guy. Right. Right. And, and, and that's one way to handle that uh, as opposed to just firing them because you, you might've just thrown the baby out with the bathwater and now you're giving it over to a, a young, uh, talented, but youthful and inexperienced, never been a head coach before guy who's going to take over the keys of the program now. And Nebraska did that. And now here we are 22 years later and uh, we still suck. So would, would uh, Bill Callahan count as a young guy at the time? Well, no, but uh, I'm just saying we, we got on to the, uh, the uh, new coach roller coaster that has been, a, you know what I mean? We we've been on that roller coaster in search of our, next Tom Osborne ever since. And, right. and, uh, and, and the argument was made at the time and could be made even today that if we had just given Frank Solich a little more support, once Frank made the, the tough decision to get rid of a lot of Tom's assistants and, you know, brought in a bunch of new coaches, which who, by the way, included, you know, Bo Pelini as his defensive coordinator and, uh, and a young, um, um, Who's our defensive coordinator right now? Bill Bush. Bill Bush. A young Bill Bush was on that staff, okay, uh, who was already known as a darn good recruiter. Um, so, so we had some talent in that coaching staff. If we had allowed that, that group of coaches to gel and become better at recruiting, uh, maybe Frank become he turns the corner because that was his big Achilles heel was, um, you know, he uh, – he understood 
uh, power football. He understood what worked at Nebraska. He had all that in line. His problem was Frank's problem among a few things. It wasn't just one, but the main one was he was not recruiting at the level that Tom's staff was before. And so we were slowly, you know, the cupboard was getting less and less full. Right. And uh, that, that could have been corrected without firing him, I guess is the point. And I think the same is, could be said for Wisconsin. Right. So switching back to Illinois here, um, they are currently six and one, having defeated uh, big teams in the West like uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota. Um, their one loss was to Indiana, the team that we beat. Um, I went and watched the recap of that game just for context. And it was one where uh, they were minus two in turnovers. Um, so they were throwing a lot of interceptions and it was a very uh, field goal heavy game on both sides, kind of low scoring. It was 23, 20. Um, so I think we can mostly chalk that one up to them being sloppy at the beginning of the year. And they've cleaned some of that up now. Uh, though in the game they played, uh, most recently, which was against Minnesota, uh, I mentioned this on the last podcast, um, but Minnesota themselves were minus three in turnovers, uh, and uh, Illinois gave up a kickoff return for a touchdown in that game. Um, and they only were managed to win 26-14 when the other team was minus three in turnovers. So, you know, I think they've got their own uh, vulnerabilities for sure. Um, and if, uh, you know, Casey Thompson and uh, what's Trey. his name? Trey. Yeah, thank Trey you. Palmer. Trey Palmer. Uh, can keep up the chemistry and, you know, uh, good vibe they had going in our previous game against Purdue, um, then we may be able to score some points on them. I think the big question mark will be how can the defense respond because we struggled very much to slow down Purdue, and Illinois also has a lot of good weapons on offense. Right. Oh, I, I, I would agree with your assessment that Illinois is a very good football team, but they're not a juggernaut. They're not great. They're not somebody that you look at and say, oh, there's no way we could beat them, right? You can come up with a scenario or a set of circumstances where they're very beatable, right? The question is, does Nebraska have the personnel to, to be able to put ourselves in a position to do that, right? Uh, because they're just, they're really sound defensively. Uh, so they're going to make us earn it. Uh, and in fact, I, I think they're good enough, especially in their secondary, that uh, they're probably going to take Trey away. So we're going to need some of those other wide receivers in our wide receiver core to step up. You know, uh, Washington, Mar- Mar- it's Marcus Washington, our, uh, one of our other wide receivers who's extremely talented but has a tendency to drop the football a lot. Okay, We need, we need Marcus to be on his best, you know, uh, this Saturday. He needs to be a guy that gets open because he has this talent to do that on uh, the speed and things, but he needs to catch it when the ball's catchable and Chase and Casey needs to pass the ball. Right. Are you, are you suggesting that they might go so far as to like double team Trey and basically say, well, we don't think you can beat us with your other receivers. Right. They're going to bracket him, right? Like they're going to, they're going to have somebody uh, and, uh, and then they'll probably have a safety over the top almost every time that, you know, they're going to, they're going to be very aware of which side of the field Trey is on. Uh, and I don't know uh, if uh, typically uh, Trey is not the slot guy, so I don't think he's a guy that's going to be in motion a lot. But we might have to do some 
creative things to, to move Trey around and force them to show their hand a little bit. Cause if they are, uh, you know, keeping a bracket coverage on him, then, you know, they're going to, there's going to be some movement on their defense. That's going to show that. Right. Right. And uh, that, that would be a good thing for us to know. Right. Well, and also talking about the defense, I know we've talked about, right, how Bill Bush came in and simplified things down from how they were before, you know, to let these athletes just be athletes, right, and try not to overthink things, um, which has worked reasonably well for us. Um, but I think against Purdue, they kind of showed that, you know, if you're too simple, you kind of become predictable, you know, then that can be exploited. So I'm hoping, given the bye week that we had with this extra bit of time that Bill Bush has been able to add some more of those complexities into this game. You know, uh, Mickey and the staff have to know how key this game is both to Nebraska's overall season and to their potential futures uh, at the university. Uh, So I think they'll probably have given this game extra attention and everything. Uh, So I'm hoping to see some new things schematic wise as well. Oh, oh, they, yeah, they're, they, they most certainly, have to have some new things, both offense and defense, that they haven't shown before on film that they're going to want to, you know, have practiced and and feel like they can include in the game plan. Um, the the bigger challenge, and Mickey talked about this actually in today's press conference. He he had a short uh, thing with the press today that I watched, and he uh, he basically talked a lot about uh, the importance of being physical. Illinois is an extremely, you know, physical team that, as you said. When you look at their their games this season, they are uh, they're a team that grits it out, man. They they grind and they grind and they grind and they play sixty minutes and they're okay with winning ugly, right? Now, right. obviously, they'd like to win with more talent and with more pizzazz or whatever, and they certainly will have opportunities to do that. And it looks like they're getting better as the season goes along in that regard. But they're a team that's perfectly capable of just shortening a game and grinding you into the ground if they think that's the way that they can achieve a W. They don't care what it looks like. Right. Well, right? as an example, I didn't watch it, but their game against Iowa was a 6-9 to nine, uh, exhilarating affair. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, Nebraska's, uh, Nebraska's, I think, has two critical things that they have to do. We have to not be grinded out. I, I don't think we can get into a grinded out game with them. Okay. Uh, we need to be explosive. And ideally, we need to be explosive, particularly early, because we need to get them to maybe have to pull themselves out of their grinded game plan uh, by putting them behind, right? By scoring early, maybe going up 14 points, 21 points or something, and then making them chase us. If we're chasing like we were last week, where Purdue, our last game, where we we actually played Purdue close and could have won that football game, but we were chasing the whole game, right? We were fighting to stay in it, stay in it, stay in it, stay in it, and we'd get close, and then they'd pull back away, and we'd get close, and they'd pull back away. Um, we cannot do that because Illinois will grind us into the dirt if, if, uh, if they get the chance. They, they know how to step on somebody's throat and crush it. So um, we can't allow that to happen. And that's where Mickey's talking about, hey, we're preparing our team for the fact uh, for the physicality that this Illinois team is going to bring to us. And we want to reestablish uh, the notion that Nebraska is a physical team and will be from that from now and going forward. We're going to be 
the more physical team every weekend. That's the goal. Well, like We're not there, that. right? But I like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no Nebraska fan's going to say no to that mentality. We'll just have to see how it works in practice. <laughs> exactly. I, I just, I, I mean, we still our offensive line is still uh, in shambles. Our defensive line still has some major, major weaknesses, and now we're having injury issues at linebacker. So, you know, um, uh, it, Heinrich was, you know, one of the top leading tacklers on our team and, and had played a lot of snaps. So losing him for the season is a, is a big blow. Right. Talking about score prediction here, uh, previously with the Purdue game, I predicted that we were going to lose um, by, you know, like 14 points or something, and we did it. We played it close with them. And I can Purdue and Illinois haven't played this year, but I consider them to be relatively close in terms of talent, um, you know, or how they performed this year. And um, we are playing Illinois at home, whereas we played Purdue away. So this time I'm going to be optimistic and say that it'll be a, a close game with uh, plenty of scoring on both sides. Like you say, I think we'll need to be explosive to win. Um, but I'm going to say that uh, Nebraska pulls out the upset and gets the W. And it'll be uh, 38 to 35. I love your optimism, Alex. God bless you, man. Uh, thank you. Thank you, son. I don't <laughs> share that view. I'm sorry. But uh, I, I think realistically, uh, uh, Illinois is going to have to make not one or two, but you know, I'm going to say three or four pretty significant mistakes for us to be able to take advantage of that and beat them, right? So... For us to achieve the upset, I think we're going to have to have that two or three uh, uh, advantage in turnover margin, for example. Uh, and, and then they're going to have to make some mistakes, uh, and our defense is going to have to play just lights out, right? And obviously the offense too. But um, I'm going to say that uh, we're going to hang around. We might even get a, a, an early lead because we're at home, and there'll be energy in the crowd and all those kinds of things. Uh, but I, I have a feeling that, that, uh, even if we have some success early, it'll be short lived, you know, they will have, uh, re-secured control by halftime. And then, uh, we'll come out with a, a little, uh, surge in the third quarter that like, we're going to hang in, but then at some point, late third quarter, early fourth, uh, the grinding will finally take its toll and then they'll end up winning by about 14 points or so. So I'm going to say, I'm going to go ahead and say 38, 21, actually. So 17 points. Okay. Um, it's worth noting that, uh, I unfortunately won't be able to watch much of this game. I think I'll catch like the first hour. Um, I've got something going on Saturday. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, I'll be wishing the Huskers well wearing my red as I usually do. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that I will be either at a bar that has the game on or uh, I will be watching it uh, from my RV. There we go. All right. So talking now about the national side of things in week eight of college football, uh, we gave some predictions on the last episode, as we usually do for some of the big games. Um, and one of the most interesting was uh, Clemson versus Syracuse. Um, yeah, I, that was a game. Yeah. Uh, I predicted uh, that uh, Clemson would win in a close one, 28-21. Uh, where you predicted that they'd win a little bit more dominantly of uh, 35-21. And the final score ended up being 27-21 Clemson. So I was pretty much right on the money there. 
Yes, you were. And the way that game played out, I mean, Syracuse was winning it most of the game. And I genuinely thought that, that Clemson would, this would be the week where Clemson would, would begin to show themselves for being, you know, the premier team in the, um, in the ACC and, um, you know, separate themselves. Uh, but Syracuse played really well enough to hang in there with them and, and deservedly could have won that game. Right. So it did not play out at all. Like I thought, well, I will say, cause I watched, I didn't watch it live, but I watched the recap of that game. And it, I think it was more on Clemson making mistakes because they had, uh, four turnovers in the game. Now Syracuse had one, uh, so it was minus three overall. Uh, but one of those right. was Clemson right near the goal line, and the guy like fumbles it, and one yep. of the Syracuse dudes picks it up and brings it back for pick six. So that was right. Right. really more of a 14-point swing right in the right. game. Right. So that was huge right there. Um, but then Syracuse themselves had, I believe it was 10 penalties, um, including some on the drive that Clemson had late to score seven to get back in the lead. So, you know, I guess there, there were mistakes on both sides that ended up uh, kind of deciding the final outcome. Right, right. But it still wasn't the kind of crisp, cl- uh, clean football game that I would have expected out, out of uh, a Clemson team like I've grown accustomed to watching over the last three or four years. This team just is not showing itself. Uh, for this, this Clemson team is not showing itself to be the crisp um, you know, organized and talented group that that I think their recruiting rankings would have predicted. Right. Uh, that's true. Um, the other game that we predicted was UCLA versus Oregon in the Pac-12 and number nine versus number 10 matchup. Uh, I predicted that uh, UCLA would win uh, 45-38, whereas you predicted Oregon would win uh, 35-31. Uh, and it ended up being an Oregon W of uh, 45 to 30. Um, really, I, th- I think USLA scored late. You know, it was like 23 at one point. So Oregon really was in control of that game for the majority. Exactly. I would agree with that description. And, you know, again, um, that was a home game for Oregon, right? And uh, th- that was one of the things that factored into my prediction a little bit. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I just don't know what to think of of what's going on in the Pac-12 this year. You know, who's really good? Who's really who's 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 going to be the best? Uh, I just feel like it's a com- it's a collection of a lot of or or a good number of you know good football teams, but I don't see any one team uh, you know saying wow they're just heads and tails above everybody else. I might have thought that USC had a chance to be that or Utah had a chance to be that. But uh, they have both shown, you know, not not to be that. So uh, they're just a bunch of good teams. Right. Well, nobody's uh, great. You know, we're getting close now to when the uh, playoff rankings will start happening. And I saw an interesting headline that basically said that Oregon was going to present a tough challenge to the committee if they keep winning and that uh, they'll clearly be seem to be one of the top teams in the country. Uh, But they had that ugly ugly loss to georgia in the first game of the year um so how do you you know equate that as you're evaluating you know who the top four are going to end up being right yeah yeah well again i i I would say 
because that happened early in the season, first game of the year, uh, over time, the recency bias of other games will diminish the significance of that. And plus, uh, just in general, I think a lot of people look at that and say, well, they lost early. They're a much, they're a different football team than they were then. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but we'll see, we'll see how they do the rest of the year. There's still some important games to go for them and uh, see how it all plays out. But UCLA was a team that was looking pretty salty too, you know, until this game. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, And this was another interesting one. This was a big upset. Um, LSU played against Ole Miss, who was ranked number seventh. Uh, yes. managed to beat them uh, 45 to 20. Right. And and it was, I mean, LSU definitely won that football game. Yeah. It wasn't one of these things. Well, I think Ole Miss was up early, like in the first quarter and a half. They were. And then mm-hmm. LSU caught up and just took control and never looked back. Right. 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 I mean, that was a legitimate win, man. And, uh, uh, you know, that was an important victory, frankly, for LSU. Because you know, with their new coach this year, uh, he needed he needed he needed that he needed that victory. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with you there. Um, another interesting one in the Big Twelve. Um, Big Twelve's had a lot of good games this year so far, and uh, TCU played against Kansas State. Uh, and Kansas State was actually winning in the first half, uh, but then ended up getting uh, shut out uh, in terms of scoring points in the second half. And it was a 38 to 28 victory for TCU, who is still undefeated in the Big 12. Uh, a big factor in that is that uh, Nebraska's Florida quarterback, uh, Adrian Martinez, who's at Kansas State, uh, got injured. And then they brought in their second team quarterback, and then he got injured. <laughs> and so they had to bring out the third team guy for a while, uh, who immediately like threw like two interceptions. So yeah, that wasn't going right. well. Uh, but the second team quarterback, his injury wasn't serious, so he came back into the game and was doing better. Um, but at that point, I think they had just spiraled too far. Yep, I I, I would agree. Well, and I I haven't heard the significance of Adrian's injury. I mean, you know, um, he um, played he played uh, banged up almost perpetually in his career at Nebraska. So if he's not playing, then it's pretty serious because. He's a tough dude. Right. Uh, I saw a headline that mentioned uh, that, you know, there was a possibility that he could play this weekend. uh, So I don't think it's super serious. Okay. Yep. Well, they're going to need him for sure. Yeah. Game day decision. Um, Also worth noting that uh, Kansas State missed two field goals that were definitely doable, uh, makeable. So that was also a factor in the game. Interesting. And uh, this was an interesting one. Uh, Miami uh, played against Duke, and Miami yeah. had another uh, tough loss where Duke beat them 45-21 to 21 in their home stadium. Well, which was empty. Yes. <laughs> embarrassingly, embarrassingly empty. I yes. mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I love it. I mean, you know, Miami's in that small group of, of teams that, that I like to dislike you know, um, in, uh, not in the same uh, stratosphere as Texas, but certainly in the upper group. Uh, <laughs> so love it when, when Miami struggles, uh, and really kind of happy for Duke, uh, to see them having some success. Their coach is doing some pretty good things there. And uh, we now have another, a good friend, uh, uh, of the family whose son plays at Duke. So 
um, I uh, enjoy uh, seeing them have success. Yeah. Well, and that was another one where the quarterback was a key factor because Miami's quarterback got hurt early and the second teamer came in and uh, especially near the end of the game, it was really going bad for them. They had a total of eight turnovers. Miami did. Um, Now Duke had two, but that means Miami was still minus six on the game. So (laughs) yeah. So it should have been a blowout. Right. Well, I mean, uh, 24 points is still pretty solid. Of a yeah, w. right. That's what I mean. That 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 outcome is what you would expect when you're minus six in turnovers. Yeah. So yeah, they've got some uh, serious problems there, and I don't know the status of that uh, first team quarterback. So if he's permanently hurt, uh, then their season's probably in trouble. Right. I would agree. Um, and then well, I would already say it's in trouble. Well, yes. <laughs> back or not. Well, yeah, yeah. More serious trouble, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then this is a game that's got a lot of people talking is uh, South Carolina played against Texas A&M uh, and Texas A&M lost uh, 30 to 24. Uh, it basically the game basically started uh, as bad as it could for Texas A&M because they were down uh, 17 to nothing after like, you know, seven minutes had passed. Um, and because uh, I believe there was like there was yeah, there was like two interceptions basically like uh I think it was Texas A&M maybe had the ball through an interception. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It was There was a kickoff return. There was a kickoff return for a touchdown. That was one of the touchdowns. Then Texas A&M got the ball, threw an interception, forced them to kick a field goal. Texas A&M got the ball again, threw another interception, and this time they scored a touchdown. So that's where the 17 points came from. Um, and then Texas A&M fought back and, like, tied up the game. Uh, but uh, South Carolina, you know, was able to – keep the pressure on late and uh, get out there with the W. Wow. And uh, yeah. And A&M is just a, they're, they're a Jekyll and Hyde muddy mess. You know, I mean, they, they, they battled against some really good teams and, and so they look like they're not too far away. And then they, and then they lay an egg. I mean, South Carolina uh, was a team that a lot of people were saying was probably one of the worst, if not the worst team in the sec this year. So Right, because Texas A&M, uh, they had the close game against Alabama, uh, yep. but then they lost to South Carolina. They've lost to Mississippi State, uh, and then they got upset by Appalachian State right in embarrassing right. fashion at the beginning of the season. Yep. So I don't know, and so it, it you know, like we, we talked a little bit pre pre podcast in our brief conversation uh, about this, but. You know, uh, because of the expectations that come from being paid, you know, effectively about $11 million a year, uh, the coach there at A&M is not going to be given a lot of time before they start to put the screws to him in terms of expectation. If if you're being paid that much money, if if the program is being given, given all the resources, including the NIL support that it's being given, there is an expectation of a return for that investment. And if it doesn't happen here relatively soon, he could be on a hot seat, even though uh, formally the university owes him, you know, 80 plus million dollars. Right. Right. So that's Jimbo Fisher who's at Texas A&M. They're currently three and four in their record. And it came out after the game that uh, they he had to suspend uh, four true freshmen who were contributors to the team, not 
insignificant players. Apparently, they were smoking weed in the locker room before the game, uh, which, then, which then people were joking about, you know, well, that's why they sucked. That explains um, why. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there I've seen a lot of articles kind of with pressure on him. So far in his time at Texas A&M, he's been... Nine and four, eight and five, uh, nine and one, and eight and four. That nine and one being the 2020 season with you know reduced games, um, and they were ranked right. fourth at the end of the year for that. So that's kind of the high point so far for him. Um, but like you say, with the resources being pumped in there, uh, there's an expectation of more for sure. Absolutely. Well, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens. There's still a lot of season left. A lot of lot of opportunity for them to make make some hay and get some W's and, you know, everybody will forget about this, uh, and, and just look to the future. Right. But, uh, um, but if they continue to kind of unravel here a little bit with, you know, internal problems and that sort of stuff, then, then he's going to feel the heat. Right. Um, and this was a pretty interesting stat. I saw kind of a reflection on, uh, maybe, uh, school shouldn't be so eager to throw huge money, uh, at these, you know, coaches, that you're not so sure on or whatever. Uh, but between Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, Mel Tucker at Michigan state and Mario Cristobal at Miami, they are currently a total of nine and 12, uh, in this year's, uh, win loss. And they, in terms of their contracts, they are combined for a collective of 30 years and $270 million. <laughs> So Jeez. all of them long-term commitments from the university uh, that aren't looking so hot in the moment, you know, right. now we were just preaching patience earlier, right? Talking about right. Paul Christ and uh, Frank Solich. So maybe, you know, they'll turn things around, but uh, the pressure is definitely on right now. Here's the thing, you know, uh, there, there's a difference between uh, Jimbo Fisher's situation and the other two guys. The other two guys are relatively young head coaches or, I should say they're at the beginning of their head coaching careers, right? Um, um, uh, Tucker at, at Michigan State, you know, was a head coach at Colorado for a couple of years, um, and that was it, right? So, so he doesn't have some long history of, of being a head coach. And Cristobal was a very highly regarded um, defensive coordinator, uh, became, um, you know, a head coach and, you know, uh, was uh, – uh, he's only been doing that for, uh, again, maybe three, four years, uh, where Jimbo, I mean, he was the head coach at Florida state for like a decade before he moved to A&M, right. Won a including winning a national champ, right. Yeah. Including winning a national championship. So, so he, he was a guy that you'd point to and say, okay, you know, he's the slam dunk. Right. And that's what A&M, that's why A&M did what they did is they felt they were buying the, the, the guarantee, the, the can't miss candidate. Right. Um, so that's what makes that one, the, the, the one you're even less patient with because we, we did everything right. Damn it. We're supposed to be reaping the rewards of our, our proper decision and it's not happening. Right. Very true. So we'll keep an eye on, uh, that situation. Certainly if, uh, he were to get fired, you know, things would definitely have to go significantly worse for them for that to happen, but that would be a big time, uh, coaching uh, opening for sure. Right. 
Right. Um, so talking about week nine of college football, obviously we predicted the Nebraska-Illinois game. Uh, in national terms, um, there are a few interesting games. Uh, Tennessee-Kentucky has won. Uh, number three, Tennessee versus number 19, Kentucky. Uh, it's at home for Tennessee, so I think the expectation is uh, Tennessee should win, but uh, not a team you can overlook, certainly. Definitely. I agree. I agree. And that should be – is that a night game? I don't know. Okay, that, that, not important then. If you happen to know, I was going to go with it. But um, that's, uh, yep, that's an important game. Yep. Speaking of Texas A&M, actually, uh, they have to play against uh, Ole Miss, um, who obviously uh, just lost to LSU, right? So they're uh, a little bit beat up from that. Uh, but Texas A&M is coming off a loss too. So uh, that's that'll be an interesting one to see how that turns out. Yes. That will be uh, because, uh, again, that that has potential of another A and M loss, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, if you have another A and M loss, that's a that's a problem. Yeah, it I is. I mean, th- then the then the people will still start bitching. I mean, Texas uh, fans in the state of Texas just can't help themselves in that regard. <laughs> yes, you know that from experience. Yes. Uh, it is at home for Texas A&M, so you know, that's one thing in their favor. Um, yeah. And there's the uh, classic in-state rivalry of Michigan-Michigan State, which is you know one we've always paid attention to uh, due to our association with that state. Um, it is at home for Michigan, and they are definitely the big favorite this year. They're currently ranked fourth in the country, while Michigan State isn't ranked at all. Uh, however, there have been other situations where Michigan – has seemed like they're on a roll uh, and then MSU finds a way to grind it out. Like we've talked about and uh, find a way to win. Uh, so we'll have to see if they can come up with another miracle here. Exactly. And well, and, and again, Tucker's Tucker's back is against the wall because the rest of his schedule doesn't get necessarily a lot easier. So this is an important W for him to achieve number one, six wins so that he can be bowl eligible and, and number two, and, and I would say num- number two to n- not be so bad that he falls into Scott Frost territory, you know? So, um, um, that's an, it's the motivation is definitely there for Michigan state. The, the challenge is it's at, at Ann Arbor. And, and I think Michigan is, is gearing up. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I wouldn't want to be a Spartan this week. Right. And here are two interesting ones. Um, number one, Georgia's playing against Florida, who was unranked. However, it's at home for Florida, so there's potential upset uh, possibilities there. And then number nine, Oklahoma State is playing against Kansas State uh, at home for Kansas. So uh, another good Big 12 matchup there. Oh, yeah. Those are some really nice ones. And and uh, ironically, our game, you know, uh, that I mean, if if Nebraska were to win – I mean, that would put the Big Ten West in such a topsy-turvy, crazy situation. It wouldn't even be funny. Like, there would be, like, four teams or something that would all be tied for first in the division. Right. Yeah, well, that's kind of where it started early, right, where we were tied for the lead with four other teams or whatever. Right, right. But, I mean, now it's starting to get the nitty-gritty time, right? I mean, you're halfway through the season, through the Big Ten. 10 season and so um you know these these games start to elevate in importance right that's certainly true 
So I'll be rooting for Kansas State in that one and hoping that uh, Adrian is able to play in it. Although, you know, from our experiences in Nebraska, right, if he really is hurt, then you should just, you know, bite the bullet and leave him out, right, so he can properly heal because we would keep him in when he had no business being in that game because we were so unconfident in our second teamer. Right, exactly. Yeah, I don't think they'll make that mistake. Yeah, hopefully not. Their, their second team guy did pretty well from what I saw uh, when he was in the game. It was the third string guy that was a real disaster. But the game that we're going to predict here, and one of the other big games of the week, is also in the Big Ten, uh, Ohio State versus Penn State. Uh, now, Penn State played against Michigan recently and got pretty solidly uh, beaten, and people generally consider Ohio State to be better than Michigan. Uh, however, it is at home for Penn State, um, though the Michigan game was too, wasn't it? Because that was one of the reasons I sided with Penn State. Um, so that may not be as big of a factor, but uh, what do you think? Uh, do you think there's any chance of a Penn State upset here? No. <laughs> <laughs> the quick answer is no. Um, um, I just think... Um... Ohio State's just a lot more talented. And for whatever reason, Penn State's got a lot of talent. Don't get me wrong. They do. But they just don't seem to have it clicking. And uh, at the end of the day, you need a great quarterback to to have, you know, a good to great football team. And right now they don't. They have a guy that at best could be described as serviceable. And I don't even think he's been that this year. So Penn State just is – only going to go as far as their quarterback can take him. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, it's true. Modern college football, you know, if you want to be in that like top 10 range, you have to have a difference maker at quarterback. That seems to be the new law of the land, as it were. Yes, I would agree. Um, so I, I'm going to agree with you. You know, I went with Penn State last time against Michigan, and that didn't go so well for me. So uh, this time, I think I'm going to also side with uh, Ohio State, though I think. Penn State will keep it interesting maybe for two and a half quarters, and then Ohio State will take control later. Um, so I'm going to say that Ohio State wins, uh, let's say it's uh, 41 to 28. I'm going to go with, it's not going to be much more than that. So let's say 45 to 24. Okay. So just a bit bit wider of a margin. Yeah, big bit wider margin. Yep. Okay. Fair. I enough. mean, I you know, I I just yeah. Um, but it 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 could be interesting. Um, you know, who was it that we were talking about that? Uh, um, oh well, th- this this I'm uh, this I'm swinging around here just a little bit to back to the Nebraska game for just a second. I was looking at something, Alex. It's just something to think about. Um, you know, if you look at Illinois's um schedule of the games they've already played. They really haven't faced a lot of prolific offenses. And that includes a lot of the big 10 schools they've played where they played them early in the year when they were a very different teams than they are now, right? Like they just, they hadn't gotten as organized or as, as crisp as, as some of those teams are now. So, you know, if we can just play healthy and, and our, and our offense can do a reasonable job of keeping our quarterback clean, we might very well have one of the most prolific offenses that they've seen. So a lot of the defensive statistical numbers that Illinois has that looks great may not translate, right? 
I feel like that that could also be true in this Ohio State Penn State game, right? Like there's some uh, smoke and mirrors that might get exposed in this game. So that's why I'm really excited to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On that point, in terms of Illinois, um, the teams they've beaten so far are uh, Wyoming, uh, Virginia, uh, Chattanooga, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota. Uh, and it's worth noting that that Minnesota, or I'm sorry, the Wisconsin game was on October 1st. So I think that was the one that prompted the coaching change because it was a, a rough loss. So that was before this new guy took over. It was before the new guy took over for sure. It wasn't the one actually, no, uh, Chris played another game. Chris got beat after Illinois uh, beat them. Well, uh, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. You're right. It, then it was Illinois. Why? I was thinking Indiana. I don't know why. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Uh, that's right. Because <laughs> it was Michigan State was the one who uh, upset them. Right. Uh, so that's how uh, that one in particular played out. Interestingly, I just checked in uh, uh, both Michigan and Michigan State, like us, had the bye week. So it seems like that's a common thing here in the uh, Big Ten. Um, it's yeah. So they're it's both the time of year. Yeah. So the, both teams are having the full two weeks to uh, prepare for that one. Yes. That's interesting. You know, and that is something I know we're not going to talk about yet. And frankly, I don't think we need to yet. Uh, but, th- uh, the big 10 did announce everybody's 2023 schedules. And there was a lot of discussion this week about, you know, the, the crossovers that each team got from both the East and the West, West divisions and what are the implications of that and things of that nature. Yeah. I saw that we play uh, Colorado early in the year. We do. We have a nice schedule. Um, it, uh, you know, if we could find, we, we play uh, Minnesota, a conference opponent again for the third year in a row, right out of the blocks, uh, which we've never done before. I don't think we've ever had that circumstance, right? This, this idea of, having your very first game be a critical conference divisional rival game. And that's what we've had. I mean, we played Illinois first game of the year, three years ago or two years ago. Then this year we played Northwestern. And now next year we play Minnesota. Uh, it's got, it's a head scratcher to me. Right. Well, it's cause uh, you know, the, the TV people, right. Want to have more exciting games on week one, not just the big boys versus the Patsy, you know, nobodies, right. That's that's true, and it and it does open up the opportunity then for us to have a a non conference game at a different spot or to put a, a a bye week like this year we had two bye weeks because of the timing of our first game with uh, with Northwestern so yeah right all right well we'll have to see how that all plays out of course in the years to come and we'll see what uh who our head coach is for twenty twenty three you know as we said this. This is really a critical one for uh, Mickey Joseph, um, and I'm crossing my fingers that he's able to pull it off because um, I think that would really um, make the choirs kind of singing for him to stick around uh, much louder. So we'll have to see how oh, that yeah. goes. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, if you out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts if you search for College Football Throwdown or on Spotify. You can leave us a comment there, uh, rating or review. We always love hearing from the fans, and we'll read them out here on the air. So thank you out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. Until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red.
Go Big Red. 